right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Need Some Introduction. Today's episode primarily will be discussing the latest episode of House of the Dragon, the fourth episode, King of the Narrow Sea. And this one is directed by Claire Kilner, and she will also be directing next week's episode. I do like to call out the creative team behind these individual episodes, especially when I'm a fan of these episodes. And I am a fan of this episode, but I want to get Celia's feedback. Hello there. Uh, not only this episode, but last week's episode too. So we'll be breaking down this week's episode after we discuss last week's episode briefly. I wasn't able to catch up with her on that one. And also just a reminder that uh, make sure you subscribe to get our episodes. We continue to cover the show, The Patient on Hulu. And uh, Sona and I are not loving that show, <laughs> but I have a special guest. I have a psychologist coming on to discuss the show next week. And she wants to come on the show because she finds the show very compelling because she understands from a psychological perspective what's happening to these characters. She has a very interesting interpretation, which makes me appreciate the show a little bit more. So I'll have her on next week. So may stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, by the way, there are so many thrillers coming out this month and not just like kind of run of the mill garbage thrillers. These are high profile, very well-reviewed thrillers. And I have suggested one older one in this past week, but I will probably have to have a bonus episode with you, Celia, where I'll run down a whole bunch of recent thrillers that I recommend. And maybe you can pick one to watch and we can discuss it. And that will continue all the way through Halloween. I mean, I've been looking at the release schedule and there are so many horror movies and thrillers coming out. And uh, a lot of these are very high profile and considered very good films. So I'm looking forward to that. I do like a good thriller. I do like a good horror movie. I saw and, a horror movie this weekend. Oh, which one? Barbarian? It's Yes. It was good. You can't spoil it for me because I'm planning to see it sometime this week. So, But we can discuss it. Maybe that's what we discuss later in the week. Okay. All right, cool. We'll save it for then. Uh, once I watch it, I'll announce it so we can, and then we, since you've already seen it, hey, we can talk about it. <laughs> My crown and the stepstones are yours. Where is Lord Corley's? He sailed home to Driftmark. Who holds the stepstones? The tides, the crabs, and 2,000 dead triarchy corsairs. Stake to the sand to warn those who might follow. Rise. All right. So before we get into this current episode, I wanted to get your read on last week's episode. How'd you feel about it? I liked last week's episode. It moved everything along really well. There was a little wit about there. There's a couple of things going on, and that one delved deeply into it. Just like this episode delved again really deeply into why women have to have children and sex and desire and that chess game of power. It was very sex-related this yes. weekend. Yeah, all the aspects of it, marriage as well as sex, for sure. Yes. And duty. Yep. And having intercourse with a very scabby old man. <laughs> yeah. You got to do it for the, for the kingdom. Very scabby. <laughs> do it for the realm. Do it for the realm. Bleeding sores. So hot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to all of that. <laughs> I've very much been enjoying the show. I think the reason I like the show so much, and especially this week, kind of crystallized it in my mind after last week, which I also very much liked 
is that the show, because it jumps through time and, you know, I was critical at the beginning, like, where is the Tyrion character? Where is that, you know, more flamboyant, playful character so we can kind of uh, luxuriate in, in, in the show? And I've heard some negative commentary about how it really feels like it's kind of like a historical drama of some kind rather than they want it to be Game of Thrones again. And I honestly had some of that same expectation. But I think I came around on this episode this week exactly for the reasons you just said that what I find interesting about the show, especially because they're like literally jumping to another two years in time in this current episode. And then we're going to jump 15 years in time in, the, in, in two or three more episodes. And that's when we have these other cast members coming and joining the show. It's almost like I'm watching a movie, which I really appreciate the fact that it's a self-contained movie like story that is about something thematically. Like you said last week, it was about the torment of the king and the decisions he had to make. And did he make those right decisions? You see the irony of him killing this stag in this embarrassing way while his daughter actually does encounter the white stag and does not kill it. Right. So all these things kind of are self-contained in an episode. And now we're going to, and then after that, you jump ahead a couple more years. And now, like you said, it's about the role of women in society, the way sex is a weapon and a tool in the society. Right. And once again, that is the theme of this particular episode. And I appreciate it because I empathize with these characters, surprisingly, because it is the situation that they're in that I empathizing with rather than traditionally more of like plot driven shows where you're caught up in a particular character's storyline. And maybe you like one character more than the other. I end up like feeling sympathy for all these characters because I just empathize with the situation they're in. I, and I personally, I think that's another reason that this works for me. I really do gravitate towards stories about history. We have this tendency to try to write history as this you know, this great man story, this, you know, this hero rose and yada, 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 when really history is really messy. And it's a lot of like infighting and people make wrong mistakes that sometimes turn out to be right or make the right decision. And it turns out to be wrong. And it's all this complexity and ugliness. And it's usually caught up in your own personal dramas. And that's really what this whole entire show is about. And I really haven't been enjoying that about it. I think everything is very well explained. And then they have these interesting things happening behind them. Yeah. I love the scene where she has to pick a husband yes. and this little boy is like, oh no, you'll never have to worry. Like, you know, I'm the one. And you're kind of underestimating this side character. Oh, of course. Yeah. And all of a sudden something happens and he becomes very important. I don't know yet if it's by concept or if he's coming back in some way, but he was a memorable character along the lines of the storytelling that they have going on. I have to say, you know what I'm going to bring up. I do not think he's her dad. Oh, no. <laughs> anymore. Not. No, no, no. That, I'm that, like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I was reading it in a different way. I had disposed of that theory before, but absolutely, yeah. So so let's get into it. That's actually a good start, starting point that you brought up with that young knight or, or prince, I guess, who um, you know ends up you know, getting mocked by this much bigger guy. And the princess seems to be, you know, laughing at this guy and kind of taking the jester's perspective and being like, ha ha, yeah, this little guy. And of course, like you mentioned, he ends up killing that older kid. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe when they jump forward in time, we'll, we'll see this person again recast. The context of that is that she apparently has been out. She was supposed to be out for many more months, but she kind of cut this trip short. She's probably been out four months being presented all of these possible suitors and uh, she decides to head back home a little bit early because she is not enjoying this process. And on the way back home, I think importantly, 
first of all, she is still making a little bit of goo goo eyes at Crystal, her uh, knight, uh, her protector. And uh, secondly, while she's on the boat, her uh, uncle <laughs> swoops down and <laughs> <you> know, like, <laughs> kind of wings the boat as it fly as he flies by, just just to be a little bit more of a jerk <laughs> on top of everything else. Speaking of goo goo eyes, she seems a little flushed, like ooh, Damon has arrived. Like she's a little bit flustered, even early in the episode. I think she's always kind of admired him, but yeah. I don't know if she has come to the realization that maybe it's like sexual attraction to her own uncle because it was the norm back then. This was not that unheard of. I mean, it sounds really. Especially among the Targaryens, by the way, especially specifically in the story, in the storyline. Yeah. So this would not be completely out of the realm of possibility at all. And she is feeling him. Yeah. And to that point, you know, once they arrive, and they're having this ceremony, a big ceremony, because this is the return. Two years. This is two years after the last episode we just saw. They've continued to like wipe out the rest of the the, the crabs from these islands and have you know <laughs> done the same thing to them. Of course, this is how Damon works. He has now you know crucified them to the beach to like as a warning for anybody else to to not step out of line. And we also find out that the sea snake has basically not come back into the fold and he may actually be aligning himself with one of the, the families from Bravo. So that's like, that, that's the bank basically. So the bank and the fleet. So that is obviously a significant threat to the power of the King, but Damon has come back to make amends, at least uh, appears to be the case with his brother. His brother's happy to have him back. You know, they're palling around and uh, shunning the women, by the way, you know, even not only his daughter who she's kind of mad because she cut this trip short, but also Allison feels very lonely and has been kind of neglected by her husband now, especially now that the, you know, the boys are back in town. But beyond that is the fact that she's also been very much missing Allison because, you know, everybody else is just now a servant, afraid to say anything around her. She can't get counsel from anybody. Her dad obviously is always trying to pressure her into getting the grandson made into the next heir to the throne. And she just feels like manipulated constantly and used by her husband as well. And yeah, so I feel really, really bad for Allison here. Me too, but she has no other options. This is literally the only thing she can do. So she's going to be pretty lonely. I keep waiting for her to snap yes. and just do something really off the cuff. I keep waiting for her to just lose it. Interestingly, we have Allison having that conversation with Renera. They have a really great scene where she talks about some of the themes you were just talking about earlier. Women, you know, have limited uh, options when it comes to what they can do, you know, as queens. And, you know, you see both sides of the argument where Renera is like saying, like, I don't really want to have this life. But then Allison goes, oh, how sad it is for you. Like, you know, like most people have one or two people that can possibly marry. <laughs> you have like dozens of people fighting over you. But at the same time, Renera says something very offensive to Allison accidentally. I surmise the tour did not go well. I enjoyed it as long as I could. Have every young knight and lord in the Seven Kingdoms fawning over you. What misery. It is rare for girls in this realm to get a choice between two suitors, no less two score of them. Those men and boys don't fawn over me. They only want my name in my Valyrian blood for their offspring. I think it's rather romantic. How romantic it must be to get imprisoned in a castle and me to squeeze out to heirs. 
of course, that is exactly the position that Alicent is in. And then, of course, more another important scene that comes almost right after that, which is where we see Renera meet, meet up with uh, Damon under. By the way, did you notice that they meet? There's been multiple scenes here where they're under the weirwood outside of King's Landing. And in Game of Thrones, there are no weirwoods outside of the north. All of them are gone except for the ones in the north. So it's interesting that we see one right here. Uh, in the God's Wood outside of King's Landing, which means that at some point, probably in the course of the series, <laughs> that tree is going to be burned to the ground, most likely. And uh, he, she meets up with Damon there. He notices right away that she's still wearing his necklace, even though they haven't seen each other in four years. Well, he, he hasn't been to the kingdom in four years, but they have actually seen each other because of that confrontation last week or two weeks ago. She's still longing for him. And as a matter of fact, when he enters, they, she is like a giddy little schoolgirl. Like, you know, he enters back when he has his uh, meeting with the king in front of the court. And they have this interesting conversation where they talk about marriage. Like, what does marriage mean to a man? What, because he's like saying, hey, you know, you can do what you want after you get married. And she says, well, not necessarily as you, if you're a woman. You know, there's like certain decorum that women still have to abide by. And uh, so it's interesting to have them have these two very different perspectives on marriage. She calls it like a death sentence, basically. <laughs> and, and he says to her, "Part you shouldn't enjoy the best parts of life because you fear the worst parts of it. And she says, it's not fear that she seeks its solitude. So she really just wants to be alone, which is something that obviously as this princess and definitely as queen, she would never be able to be. Initially, I thought that Damon had just taken her out into the city so that she could see in reality what was happening. So she wouldn't just be living in a fantasy land up there in the sky in her tower. But he's so sneaky. Yeah. He, knew I, what he was doing. Yeah. I have a question for you, though. So what you're alluding to there is that she later on heads back to her quarters. She finds a, a sack with some clothes that makes her look like just a page boy. And she puts on the costume. And there's also a little map showing that behind the bed, if she moves the bed, there's like a secret passageway that she can escape through. And when she follows the map, she runs into Damon and he takes her out to eat and cajole and, oh, and, and importantly, see a performance where he gets she gets a feel for the crowd not being a big fan of her becoming the queen in the future, by the way. And of course, they're having some kind of carnival or something. And what did you think about that, her reaction where he basically says, hey, I just want to let you know, if you become queen, you might have to go to war with your people. And she basically says, I don't care. It's not their decision. So I'm not sure if that's the right kind of leadership. Well, that's the wrong decision, clearly. But she also comes off like a bratty child. Yeah. She is. Like she's about <laughs> she is a bratty now. child. Yeah. yeah. And she's been sheltered. It's not that it's appropriate. I just don't find it surprising. I'm like, yeah, of course she would think that. She's not like very mature yet what? either. This this uh, Targaryen world is kind of doomed. I feel like Damon should just be king. Wouldn't he just be better? He would terrify people for a while, but they'd listen to him. His decisions are purely not only in his own self-interest, they are completely selfish, but also not thought out. Like you think about all of the actions we've seen. For example, in last week's episode, we got to see three different forms of leadership, right? So let's go back to that thematically. We see that she seems to be the person who's willing to turn the resort to violence when she has to. But other than that, she doesn't see violence for the sake of violence at all. And as a matter of fact, even though she could potentially, you know, kill the white stag and bring it back and say, look, this is like a sign that I found, not my father. It could be a way to strengthen her position. She thinks it's 
a waste to kill this stag. On the other hand, the dad is desperately not only trying to cling to any symbol that makes him feel like his decision is right, he's completely conflicted. He literally says at one point, I can't make the decision that makes everyone happy, which obviously is an impossibility. You cannot make a decision that makes everybody happy. And then lastly, we also see Damon last week where his brother's like, finally, brother, I'm coming reinforcements are on the way and he goes like on a suicide mission <laughs> to try to get the crab and, and it worked out for him. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure if that is a good model of leadership. He could have waited for reinforcements and, you know, not risked his life to make a suicide run when he could have just waited. He's been waiting for years. He could wait a little, a few months longer until the, the, the cavalry arrives with multiple dragons, etc. You know, like it's a stupid decision he makes there at the end of last week's episode. All that is to say, not sure he's the best leader <laughs> in the bunch. <laughs> we could always just be like, okay, crab guy. Can you imagine that? How about the baby that though? Maybe the baby. Horrifying. We don't know what the baby. We don't know what the baby's leadership skills are. So we've only seen him he's playing. He's falling with apart though. The king is the not going to I mean, make it. <laughs> I know, but he'd have to. He'd have to. This baby is really young right now, and this king is falling apart. Like he's he's losing body parts. So. Well, they about, better make a decision pretty quickly. But think about Game of Thrones, right? Where you had Joffrey in power and his mom was really pulling the strings. But of course, Joffrey had something to say about that too. But I mean, it's not like in real historical terms, there hasn't been you know, children who are princes and kings because of their lineage. And then of course, really behind the scenes, someone's pulling those strings, right? So that's part of the reason that maybe someone's pushing for the baby. You know, Otto, for example, could push for the child. And then via his daughter, he can actually be pulling the strings of power. I am assuming that, you know, the word is going to get out of how sick he really is. You know, he can, like you mentioned already, you alluded to it. He's, you know, continuously rotting away a little bit more and more every time we see him. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's not slow either. Like these are like gaping open sores. Well, think about it. The beginning of the very first scene of the very first episode, maybe not the first scene because we had that little, you know, preamble, but the first time we meet the king in the first episode, they're tending this wound that won't close. And then at the end of the second episode is when he cuts his finger and when he's like confronting his brother. And, uh, you know, in the next episode, he has lost two, he lost the finger, then he lost two fingers. Now he's got those sores all over himself. So this is hap all happening over the course of four years. So it is not happening in a week, but uh, you would assume if this is happening systemically in another four years, he's probably going to be in really, really bad shape, right? So oh, inevitably- poor guy. He, yes. I started feeling sorry for him in this one. I mean, last week he too. Last week too. Is not an idiot though. Yeah. He's just constantly always in denial. Yeah. Maybe he knows how bad things really are and he can't face it. He's not that strong because he understands why he has to fire his hand. And right. I agree with him, actually. You would think, like, no, why did he fire him? The guy was just telling him the truth. Right. Someone has to do that. But this guy had set people to spy on the princess. This like, is something looking that... for dirt. Yes. You know? Yep. Yep. This is the very interesting thing. I think what I loved about this episode in retrospect, after I watched it, I, I rewatched some scenes to take some notes. And what I loved about this the second time around, even more impressive than I was with originally watching it, is that every single character in this episode tells the truth and tells a lie at the same time. And it's fantastic. You see that the princess says that she did not sleep with Damon. True, right? But it's not that she did not want to. She would have if he had performed at the time. You have that Damon is pushing things with her. 
and he wanted to, right? So when he goes to the brother and says that they did consummate the relationship, which was a lie, right? That's a, it's a, it's a lie what he said to the king, but it's not that he didn't want to, at least in theory, he didn't want to. But then when push came to shove at that moment, when she actually was into it, I think maybe he thought that this was all a game and she wouldn't be into it. So then she was into it, but he was into it too. But then at some moment, he's just like, I can't do this for real. Like I can't actually do this. Right. So I think that's what kind he of- seems to have problems performing in general. A lot of the times he's sitting around brothels and he's not performing. And there was that first episode where he couldn't perform. Well, in that case, he couldn't, his, in that case, he couldn't finish. In this case, he couldn't, you know, do anything. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a good reason. There's a good reason for, for it in this case that it's probably very he's torment, a complicated torture. guy. I don't know yes. how tormented he is. He seemed pretty deliberate. He just looked annoyed that he couldn't get it up. That's what I got. He was like, damn it. Yeah, but I'm oh. saying. I, feel I agree. Like he was frustrated that he couldn't do it. Yes, I agree that he's frustrated. He wanted to follow through. I totally agree. But I'm saying that deep down inside, that maybe the thing that made him not able to perform was that you know he has some consciousness there. No matter, regardless of what his intentions were initially, I think that you know at some point his conscious you know kind of uh, got to him. In the same way, by the way, if you want to talk about the sexual performance, in the same way that he couldn't you know finish in that first episode because he was, you know, his mind was somewhere else. And, you know, uh, Miss Sarah knew that as well, that um, it's the same thing. He acts like, oh, what my brother said to me today didn't bother me, but it did. He's probably thinking about it constantly. So in a way, he lies to himself, as does the king, by the way, speaking of people who are in self-denial, the king basically, he first accuses the daughter, the, you know, the daughter lies to him. He talks to the brother. The brother lies to him in a different way. He confronts Otto. Otto, by the way, speaking of being conflicted and lying and not and telling the truth at the same time, is he feels terrible having to tell the king this thing, but he knows that it's good for him because he wants his grandson to be the heir to the throne, but he knows that he's endangering himself also. But like you mentioned, he was paying to have her followed around. So the king is absolutely right to be like, yes, you were right, but uh, you were having her spied on. And of course, the icing on the cake of this whole entire episode, and we're jumping around here, but it's in, at the very conclusion where he supposedly believes his daughter and fires Otto to maintain the relationship with her and then still has her have her special tea brewed to make sure of any unwanted consequences are purged out, which she, which she may need, not because she had sex with David, because she had sex with Crystal. When he fired his hand, I understood that, or at least I think that's what was happening. He had to fire him. You can't be allowed to do what he did to the heir of the throne. You can't do that. I felt like it was almost like an HR decision. Right. He's doing it for a couple of reasons there. There's a lot of political maneuvering here also. Part of it is the fact that Rhaenyra is saying, I will marry the prince. So finally, he's making this marriage, which we preview in, in the next in the upcoming episode. So that is going to obviously fortify the family's position in a couple of different ways. But her agreement is, I'll do that if you get rid of Otto, which of course is going circling all the way back to you feel like um, at some point, Alicent is going to like snap and not be able to take it anymore. When she finds out that her dad was removed as hand, if she continues to hook up with Crystal, let's say, for example, and she finds out that she lied about that night and got her brother or her father uh, kicked out, that is going to create a huge rift in their friendship, I think. And there's a lot of more unethical things happening. She is not supposed to seduce that night. 
oh, yeah. I don't even think he, not. he's not allowed to. Yeah. He takes a vow of, ch- vow of chastity. I believe. Yes. Yep. 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 Oh, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. She's she, just a bad girl. She was a very bad girl this week. Yeah, She's exactly. very bad. <laughs> the baptism of blood she had last week, killing that <laughs> that boar. It's, you know, this is this is her transformation now in this week, because you're right. She has awakened the daemon side of her personality, basically. She's very emboldened. Yeah. And now she's all sexually ravenous. Yeah. <laughs> so she is going to start turning a little more primal as we watch this show, which is great because aren't right. the Targaryens primal? Not always, like- but I mean, they were, I mean, th- this is interesting that this story is picking up here because the book that this is based on, which is just a history, a history of the Targaryen family actually goes back almost a hundred years earlier. And uh, they allude to it here that his grandfather was killed after just six days of, you know, being uh, the hand. And, and that's how Otto got into his position. This was Targaryens killing Targaryens, right? So this is a very violent period of time where the Targaryens have killed each other off to uh, continuously fight for the throne, control the throne. And now this has been a peaceful kingdom under this reign with Viserys. Although we still see, you know, multiple times now, especially as he seems to be falling apart physically and maybe mentally as well, that, you know, we do see that anger and that, you know, potentially that madness coming through. You see how he threatened um, the Lannister guy last week. Uh, that was actually a really interesting scene. So you see some of that venom might be coming out. And so that's to speak that, you know, in, in the preview, it looks like there is civil war coming. And maybe it is, you know, Damon, you know, the faction for Damon's succession, the faction for, we haven't even touched on that though, but she he now has some loyalty. People are calling him the, the king of the narrow sea. So that's obviously a slap in the face of the king, of course. And, you know, is it going to be Rhaenyra? Is it going to be the prince? Well, we shall see. I think that the, (laughs) I think that we're going to find out through a lot of trials and tribulations here, but um, these are interesting characters. Remember when I was like, Oh, I just want to fall in love with these characters. I see. um, I see a possibility of that now because they're interesting to me. So I'm pretty happy with this week. I felt, yeah, empathy for every single character. I thought, I, I think that they did a really good job of of building that out. Okay, a couple of questions I have for you. One is, oh, the first one is, I think it's interesting that you know, I think they intentionally, as a matter of fact, if you see that little, there's like a five minute making of episode featurette that comes out at the end of the episode. They talk to the director. They talk to what's her name, Claire Kilner, and she talks about how she wanted to shoot these sex scenes in a way that, you know, traditionally like (laughs) uh, Kim, my wife always makes fun of the fact that in all these movies, you know, Game of Thrones and everything, it's always like the sex scenes are always like, um, you know, like quickly, they're like pulling down their pants really quick and then thrust. <laughs> that's the sex <laughs> scene, right? And every single time, that's what it is. And or, I have to say Or that you can us- watch like Spartacus where it's just like these women are like, oh gosh, yeah, exactly. kill me now. And then <laughs> like, yeah. they just sit there and they take it. Oh my God, Spartacus is hilarious. They take it for hours. Spartacus is hilarious. They're just like pincushions. They could just take it forever, right? 
But um, it's anyway, crazy. <laughs> I did want to talk about the two sex scenes here because I thought there was, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a female perspective, although there probably was that. I also just thought it was very sensual. Like, I really think that once again, maybe just speaking to the fact that we need more diversity in directing, you know, I thought it was really sensual the way that, you know, she undresses the night. Like he's in this armor, like there's a lot to do. And they made the whole undressing this, um, you know, part of the seduction. I thought it was really, really well done. And this in the scene between uh, Renera and her uncle too, like the power goes back and forth between the two of them. And it's really just a kissing scene, but it says so much about their character. Once again, <laughs> not the traditional thrust. Not <laughs> just the whole... kissing scene. He has her pushed up against the wall. Oh yeah, exactly. He's it's like just... feeling her up. Oh, no. When I'm saying the kissing scene, I'm saying that most of that dynamic shift between the two of them, that the, the taking of power back and forth between the two of them is done with their kissing, right? Like that's where you see most of that beyond the, yes, you know, he does have her against the wall. They are disrobing at that moment. So it's not just- I love not that only... she's in control of this though. Yeah. Like she's yeah. going for this, you yeah. know, she just decided this is it. She's just going to do this right now. So impulsive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In a way, you can see how this is maybe her taking control of the situation, not only in acting like one of the guys, you know, she, I mean, she knows what Damon and her father did in the past. She knew how it used to be for, for the guys. They can do whatever the hell they want. But I think in a way, if this comes out that she's now no longer a maiden and she's no more longer marriageable, it kind of gets her out of the circumstance once again, right? Uh, and it's something that she can't escape, but, you know, she can at least fantasize that she can. Because when push comes to shove, by the way, she lies <laughs> to, you know, preserve her um, virginity, supposedly, in the eyes of these suitors, so that she is still marriageable. So, you know, she could have just said, it's all true. And that would have been it. Like, you know, like, she would no longer be the heir. It would go to her brother. And she's done with that, right? But she wants both things at the same time. She wants everything at the same time. And I mean, who doesn't, right? Like, this is a great opportunity for her. But, you know, this was kind of her being rebellious and potentially could have blown up in her face, but it all worked out for the best. And really. drunk on her own power. She's oh, yeah. drunk on her power. Yeah. And I mean, and Damon, Damon is playing her too, right? Damon is getting her drunk. He's getting her And then, you know, he, he's leading her down this, this rabbit hole. But of course she knows Damon has his own intentions and she knows she's attracted to Damon. So all of this is decisions she's making to put herself into this circumstance. Right. So. But she does, like you said, I think she takes the power back by the end of this. She's not a victim of it at all by the end. All right. The other question I have for you is we do see very importantly here, by the way, I have not read the books, but this whole idea of the white worm is apparently very important to things to come in the future. Turns out the white worm is Masseria, who has broken up with Damon. She's back in the city. She's not at the brothel. She's running the little sparrows around these little spy she's running the spy network basically which was also existed back in game of thrones by the way so i don't know if this is the origin of it or if she just kind of picked it up where you know just became the dominant force in there but he crashes with her and very importantly when this spy goes and tells otto what he saw he comes back with the payment from otto and who receives it it's Masera, right my question is is Masera manipulating these people or is she simply the conduit for information? And this is just information. So she'll sell it to whoever wants it. And lastly, was Damon aware of this? Was he part of this at all? I don't think so, right? I don't think that Damon knew about this. No. But I feel like it's a little bit more than, I mean, she's very independent. She wants to be independent. She wants right. to feel safe. So if she can manipulate this, I feel like she would do that knowing her character. 
Dame, I don't think Damon has any idea. I don't know if he would stand for this. Yeah, given the interactions they have the next morning, he seems to not have been aware of what was happening. Like he didn't, he wasn't part of like a setup for the princess because it may, doesn't help him really either. <laughs> it doesn't really help his standing either in this whole situation. Plus he couldn't really, I mean, it's embarrassing for him. Yeah. It doesn't make him look good. All right, another question I have for you. When he is finally confronted by his brother and Viserys questions him and he says, what, what, you, like, what basically what was your intention here? Like, where, where did you think this is going to get you? And he could have just been like, oh, I just want to mess with your head. As a matter of fact, Allison says something very insightful because the king says the same thing. Why would he do this? So how does this help him in any way? And Allison says that if it makes you smaller, it, it props him up, which I think there is an element of this where he's just a troll. He's always messing with his brother, regardless if he was younger, that he was the better choice for king. I think he always has that chip on his shoulder. But do you think when he said, I want to marry Renera? I mean, is it just something he's just saying? Does he kind of believe it? Does he really want that? Uh, well, Ren I don't know if he wants to marry her. She would be like a lot of work. The yeah. two of them married to each other when she's supposed to be the heir. If he turns out to be the heir, I mean, I don't know. It's too much. Is he trying to make her? She would have to be so in love with him. Right. So head over heels that she would do anything she, he wanted and she would think this is a great idea. And it's like, we are a team, but that is not how she's coming off to me. I feel like she would not want to share that much power. So like in an ideal world, do you believe he would want it? Or do you think he, I feel like in an ideal world, they would get together because it was good politically. Um, they don't necessarily have to get married. They might even have an open marriage in there if nobody knew about it, even though they'd be loyal to each other. That's ideally where he would go, I think. I do want to call out one last thing as I did want to, like you mentioned earlier, when the king does dispose of Otto as his hand, his face, I mean, what a great performance he gives there. Like that moment where he's like, you know, he's just so crestfallen because he did tell the truth. But he, in other words, even when he was telling the king, he took no pleasure in this. You, when he heard the news, he's like, oh my God, I'm going to have to tell him. He felt horrible about it. I apologize for the early hour, Your Grace. I have um, discomforting news. I thought it best shared discreetly before the council convenes. Oh, like the sea snake. I'm afraid it concerns the princess, my king. Has she been harmed? It is no easy thing to tell a father of his daughter's exploits. I had considered saying nothing, but... What has she done? The princess was spied last evening. Beyond the walls of the keep. In a pleasure house. What of it? She was carrying on with her uncle. They were engaged in behaviors unbecoming of a maiden. Of a princess. What behaviors? What must I say to your grace? You enter my bedchamber, accusing my daughter of something. Now speak it. Plainly. 
And then when it blows up in his face, he was just so crestfallen there in that final moment. I just want to call out that it was a really great performance. Actually, everybody just gave gives great performances in this show, I think, across the board. So I feel I feel like the king is not that I don't know how to describe this man. He's weak, but he's not weak. Right. Like he will do what he has to do if it really comes down to it. Yeah. He's just extremely non-violent. I think he's conflicted. I think he probably, we've seen multiple times, especially in the recent episodes, when he feels cornered or when he feels pressured, he does become assertive and maybe not even making the best decisions, but at least is assertive. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's probably reactionary, like that time he wanted to like fly out to the island, where it's like the king without an heir cannot just fly out to an island in the middle, you know, like it's too, way too dangerous. So he's probably not always rational about what he's saying, but, you know, so there is some of that Targaryen brutality in his potential behavior. But I think that he has inherited a peaceful land and he just deep down inside wants this to be a peaceful reign for him. But speaking of that, we see previews for next week where... We see a wedding, so it does look like Rhaenyra's going through with her commitment to marry. But we also see the beginning of, I mean, we see a lot of violence here too. So there is some signs of maybe a civil war and also hinted at there that Viserys is sicker. And I think news gets out that Viserys is sick. And of course, once that news starts to spread, people are going to start aligning behind these different factions. And I think that a lot of this, I think maybe the first, who knows, five, six episodes of the season... Uh, maybe five, because it'll split the season in half, is really just setting up whatever the dynamic is going to be for the uh, second half of this season of, of the show, which is going to be whoever is going to win this immediate succession. That's my guess. Uh, that's what we're going to see. I love it. It's like a play. Yeah. It's got that meandering pace. I mean that in a good way. Yeah. yeah I feel lived in. I mean, the only thing I could be critical of is, you know, I sometimes feel like it's kind of trapped inside that castle, but I mean, it, we're really following the people inside the castle. I mean, that's, that's the storyline. We don't have, I, once again, I, I've heard criticism that people want it to be like, what's happening in Westeros? What's I'm like, this, this is not what this show is about. This is not Game of Thrones, or I should say maybe it is Game of Thrones, but the succession is not five Kings in five realms of the countryside. It's these three or four possible. That's heir, why it heirs. presents like a play. Yeah. Yeah. Like Macbeth. Yeah, it's, that's, that's really great. It's very artsy. Jaehaerys would have disinherited you. For a lie? You've yet to ask me for the truth of what happened. The truth does not matter, Rhaenyra. Only perception. You have exposed yourself. Now we must both suffer the consequences. Were I born a man, I could bear two men for I wanted. I could father a dozen bastards, and no one in your court would blink an eye. You're right, but you were born a woman. So you will strip me of my titles and name Egon in my stead? I would, but it is mine to hold the realm together, not sow it with further division. Your courtship is at an end. You will wed Selena Valarian, and you will do so without protest. The son of the sea snake, so I can be a remedy for your political headaches. You are my political headache. I think that's about it. Anything else you've been watching? Oh, I wanted a couple of uh, uh, announcements for the week. Um, it's things I'll probably be watching. I don't know how I'll be able to fit it into the show. There's way too much to watch. But this week, there's a slew of new things coming. It's September and after a relatively quiet summer, many things coming back. And two things this week, 
there's so many things. It's like weekly, there's going to be stuff coming back. I One can't wait. Atlanta season four is coming. This is the final season of Atlanta. So that's oh, coming. Nice. This okay. I'm excited. And Atlanta's so funny. Yeah. Although season three, I don't know if you watched season three. Very, <laughs> it was like a horror movie, but weird. it was funny. Yeah. The weird, weird, weird season of, and I want, I definitely want to talk about season three of Atlanta, which had those kind of weird anthology episodes. They've, have a very ambitious plan for the ending. So we'll have to see how it plays out. And also, of course, your favorite show, or one of your favorite shows, The Handmaid's Tale is uh, coming back. I can't wait. This week? Yeah. Just can't wait. Have you caught up? No, not even close. I'm on episode four. <laughs> it is very hard to watch. Yes. So yes. I don't know if you're going to make it. I mean, I'm in episode four of the first season. <laughs> way, way, way behind. So, and this is season five, right? But they have renewed it for season six, which will be really, the last, which will be the last season. Which uh, I mean, that's just way too many. I think I, I honestly, I feel I have to tap out. Just six seasons of this, I can't imagine. I can I'm so excited. It. Yeah, and that is a very popular show, obviously, and uh, we'll be back this week as well. And uh, Good Night, Mommy, the remake with Naomi Watts is coming out this weekend. And maybe we can watch that and we talk about that. Maybe we'll have a separate episode where we can talk about Barbarian and Goodnight Mommy. We'll talk about both those things. That would be great. Andrew loves that movie, the original. Yeah, which I've he never seen, believe it or not. I've only seen parts of it. I've never seen the it. whole thing. Yeah, We'll get to see how the remake goes. By the way, speaking of remakes, interesting Naomi Watts remaking this movie, a very popular or very famous uh, foreign film. And by the way, she was also the star of the American remake of Funny Games, which was, uh, I thought, a really good remake of that. Completely unnecessary, <laughs> but a very good remake of that movie anyway. Yeah, it was really good. I was uh, surprised. It was almost exactly like the original. You know what? It was the same director, and he, um, I think he used the same shot list. So there's very, very few differences. <laughs> it really very was few very differences, similar. You know? yeah. That's a Michael Haneke, who's uh, every one of his movies are so unbelievably brutal. <laughs> Maybe that one, one of the most brutal, though. I love him. Yeah, me too. He has a new movie coming out this year, actually. So. And it's not supposed to be as brutal as all that, I, from what I've heard. All right. All that to come. Many, many things. Many, many thrillers. Wow. So many thrillers coming between now and Halloween. The new Halloween movie is coming next month. I'll be reviewing that. And I'm sure you guys will be watching it because Carlos is going to drag you to the theater to see that Halloween ends movie. No, he said we could watch it downstairs in the giant screen. It's on, yeah, it's going to be in theaters, but it will be on Peacock at the same time. You're absolutely right. So you can and we it. have Peacock. There you go. Oh, by the way, if you have Peacock or if you don't, anybody out there, Peacock right now with the release of the Jurassic Park movie that just came out and premiered on Peacock, they have a director's cut of that as well, if you guys want to catch that. But more importantly, you can get Peacock for the entire year for $24. So it costs $2 a month if you guys want. If you don't have Peacock, you guys can subscribe for $24 for the entire year, which is kind of a deal. You know, there's some good stuff on there. And maybe I'll have a recommendation. Yellowstone. Oh, Yellowstone. I <laughs> That's another I show like I have not caught up on. I have not caught up on. It is very long. Yeah. It's very pretty. Very pretty. Kevin Costner. Great job. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's very confusing. Yellowstone is on Peacock. Everything else is on Paramount Plus. The spinoff is great of the time before. I forget yeah. what the date is, but it's supposed to be before Yellowstone. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they have the coolest outfits. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, cool. I got to go have some dinner. Go have dinner. And you have a good week. 
And uh, we'll check in probably later this week and we will talk about some new thrillers. We'll talk about Barbarian and we'll talk about Goodnight Mommy, the remake and the original. Send me all this info in like a text, text. thing. <laughs> we'll do. I'll, get you the, I'll, give you, I'll give you your list. Well, you've already seen Barbarian, so you're done with that. You just have to watch Goodnight Mommy. Yep. Done with that. <laughs> all right. Talk to you soon. Bye.